Welcome to this week's episode of the Casual Shooters Podcast. Today we have a full cast, finally. Me, Leo, and Huggy. You guys introduce yourselves. Hello. Okay. Chris okay. is going to remain right. frozen and just grinning at the screen. Just All right. Smiling awkwardly. Yeah, his usual. Everything's good. This week, we have guests from a private training company called Green Ops. They're local here in Virginia. We're going to bring them in momentarily, let them introduce themselves, and we're going to talk about what they offer, how they train people, and um, what their background is. So let's go ahead and do that now. Hello, Josh. Hello, Luke. Hey, guys. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Uh, I'm going to let you guys go ahead and introduce yourself. We'll start with Josh, and then we'll go to Luke. We'll go alphabetically. So, uh, hello, everybody. My name is Josh Shaw. I started working for Green Ops in 2019, uh, the beginning of the year. Uh, Mike brought on some new guys for his crew, and I was one of them. Um, and <clears throat> basically, I've been a competitive shooter since about 2015. Um, worked for the government. Uh, deployed as a civilian support guy for uh, SOF, counterterrorism missions, uh, five times, Afghanistan, Iraq. I've uh, been carrying concealed, carrying a gun for defensive purposes since 2013. Um, and for the last couple of years, I've been working, uh, teaching classes uh, for Green Ops uh, a few times a month, doing private lessons, doing classes. Um, uh Grandmaster carry optics shooter in USPSA, master production PCC. Um, that's my primary wheelhouse, I would say. Um, you know, shoot any kind of competition, steel challenge, two gun, IDPA, uh, whatever I can do. And um, that's about it for now. That's my intro. Okay. Ooh. Real quick, you answered my question about competitive shooting. I was going to ask you about that. Um, but secondly, you said SOF support. Can Are you able to go into that a little bit more? Um, I'm a civilian government employee. I'm an intel guy. Uh, okay. I have voluntary deployments with the intelligence community supporting counterterrorism missions with soft okay. units. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Luke. Hey, how you guys doing? I'm Luke. Um, go by Luke Brooks or Lucas DeBrule, anyone you want to call me. Um, I am, I've been working for Green Ops here. I came on the summer of 19, spring of 2019 with Green Ops, so almost going on two years now. Uh, prior to that, um, have no military, no law enforcement background. Basically, just like to shoot guns. Um, I, I kind of grew up shooting guns, uh, since I was probably 12 or 13 years old, going hunting, bird hunting, skeet, traps, sporting clays, things like that. Um, like most people, right? Like I've been shooting forever. So I've kind of been shooting for a long time, started getting serious about shooting probably about five or six years ago. Um, started taking training more seriously uh, around that same time. And since then, trained a lot um, with a lot of, you know, major uh, industry um, trainers through, you know, whether it be in Virginia and, and around the East Coast. Uh, got into competition shooting, specifically USPSA, 
about three and a half years ago, um, four years ago, maybe. And uh, since then, B-class production, A-class very recently in carry optics. Um, so yeah, just a lot of my background now is kind of geared or moving more toward the competition side. Um, been concealed carrying for, you know, five, six years or so. So I understand that world too as a civilian concealed carrier. No law enforcement, no military, just to double that up, but more competition, civil, civilian type type carry considerations. Okay. And for the record, Luke and I have shot together several times. And when we do, I'm his official videographer. So I want to put that out there. Be transparent here. You got to have somebody. <laughs> I need that. Okay. All right, so we normally have, uh, we use some questions that we use as a an icebreaker. So we'll toss this one out. The first one out there is favorite movie. Ooh. Oh, man. You need me to go because I've rehearsed this. Yes, yeah. then you go. <laughs> uh, all right, so um, I've actually, because I've caught up with most of your other podcasts, so I knew this was coming. And I figured I had to pick a movie that made me look half smart. So um, I'm going to say Last of the Mohicans. Ooh, I, I've good choice. I've that for so long. And yeah. I own the movie, but I'm too lazy to go grab the DVD and put it in a DVD player. So I was waiting for it to become prime on Amazon. And I finally got to watch it again for like the 12th time. Phenomenal movie. I mean, it's... It makes me want to go run up the mountains of like North Carolina. I believe that's where it was filmed. Run up the mountains and throw hatchets at things. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful. Yeah. Half naked. It makes you want to be a man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, with a loincloth on. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Only real men can rock that look. <laughs> All right, Josh, that's can you true. Top that one? Daniel Day Lewis did a great job. He did. That's probably his best movie. Well, just let me know when you're going to do that. I'll out the day. Perfect. We can do it. <laughs> what a great. Um, well, I wasn't prepared for this question, but I do love <laughs> movies. Uh, it'd be really hard for me to pick a favorite, like really hard, but um, just movies that like anytime they're on the screen, I will watch it and not get bored and just wa literally watch whatever's left of the movie. Probably. Um, Kind of a newer one, but Interstellar. I think every time every time that movies come on, I've sat there and watched whatever's left of it and enjoyed it. Uh, so, you know, trippy sci-fi movie, Matthew McConaughey being weird. I like it. I don't know. Good soundtrack. Is, is there a movie where Matthew McConaughey is movie. not weird? Uh, I don't know. He was kind of normal in The Lincoln Lawyer, but I don't know not. if I wasn't he, he I, normal in Dazed and Confused. Oh yeah, super normal. <laughs> yeah, he's just getting weirder. Yeah. What was the uh, what was the HBO was it HBO or Showtime? Um, True Detective. Yeah, it was. That was great. I was that, a few, uh, yeah, he was on the first season. That was yes. That five, was six years ago. Amazing. Oh yeah, that dude is a good actor. Yeah, that was phenomenal. That first season. and from Texas. So yes. I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. Saying. All right. Next one. Favorite book. 
book. Um, Josh, go. <laughs> my favorite book from when I was younger was a sci-fi book called To Your Scattered Bodies Go. It was by a guy named uh, Philip uh, Jose Farmer. Uh, he wrote a lot of sci-fi. It was really good stuff, but it's a book about a, a planet made by aliens that the entire planet is one giant long river and every person who's ever lived on earth ever was uh, reincarnated on this planet in their 20 year old bodies and basically turns into, you know what? Read the book. It was a uh, good, it was good. I like that. <laughs> really the cool that thing. Was awesome. You can take all these historical figures and create new stories about him. So he's like, the main characters are like Richard Francis Burton, Mark Twain, like, uh, Goebbels, you know, uh, you know, one of there's, uh, generals, uh, you know, wow. These characters and, it, you know, pits them against each other on this river planet. It's kind of cool. Actually. That's wild. I'm noticing a trend with you. Sci-fi. Um, yeah. Uh-oh. I guess politically the climate going on, you gotta say a Dr. Seuss book, right? I'd read it like a third grade level, so that would be right on. Um I don't know, it an adult book. Uh Ed Vestier's No Shortcuts to the Top. Um, it's his story of he's one of the only mountaineers to climb the seven highest mountains without oxygen. Um, and it just talks about his journey to, to do all that. Um, what is the, he was part of the crew. He was actually going up Everest when they had that tragedy and had to go up and save all those people. Mm -hmm. um, it, he, he's very, in that book, he's mentioned as like somebody that goes up and helps pull down survivors and or bodies. But um he died. He talks about that in his book. Like that was Everest was his last summit without oxygen. And that was his time to go up and summit without oxygen. And then that happened like messing everything up. So instantly he gets on bottled oxygen so he can help. But just the story of him going up those mountains and what he had to endure is pretty awesome. Wow. That is pretty wild. Wow, that's pretty. So you said adult I'm, book I'm, and I was like uh hustler. Like what is happening? <laughs> 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 Tell me for a second. Book. Yeah. <laughs> it's a book. <laughs> hey, teach their own, right? <laughs> it's a picture book. It's all good. Exactly. Uh, favorite historical figure. Please don't say Goebbels. Oh God. Um favorite historical figure. I gotta think about this for a minute. <clears throat> Go ahead. You know, it's so hard to be smart here. Um, You've had time to prepare. Yeah, I know. Um, I kind of felt that my movie choice was so good, I could just get by on every other answer being terrible. Um, I don't. I don't know. Jeez, Josh, say somebody good so I can say yeah, him or her. Historical figure. I mean, I don't know. Albert Einstein was pretty cool. Definitely brilliant. Yeah, there you go. See Albert Einstein. I was just about to say that. <laughs> that was, that was my answer. I never thought about it. 
historical characters. So I'm having to think of one right now for the very first time, you know. <clears throat> but you said historical, not hysterical, right? That is correct. Okay. <laughs> because hysterical would well, I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> Never mind. Can I get back to you like well, in a day? Hysterical history. Better. <laughs> yes. All right. So while you're thinking of that, we're going to jump to the next two. They're kind of, they're not necessarily um, combined, but they could be. If money were no option, your favorite gun and your favorite caliber. BAR. Okay. And I'm talking. obviously 30 out six. Okay. All right. I mean, Josh had mentioned saving Private Ryan. I mean, that is just epic. That and Band of Brothers, if you go with a miniseries. And so anything World War II related is pretty awesome. But the BAR, just uh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, I'm pretty simple with guns. I really, really like my AR-15 and 5.56. Like, I don't really have a huge amount of crazy unicorn guns that I want uh, that are out of my reach. So um, I'm pretty happy with the guns that I have, to be honest. I don't really pine for like some crazy expensive gun that's out there. I don't think, um, I don't know. That's a pretty boring answer. Let me change it. You know what? I want a mini gun mounted on a helicopter and a pilot. That like would it. actually, yeah. We can just end the interview. We're good. All right. Yep. Good job, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On a, 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 a stealth turboed Blackhawk uh, with unlimited ammo. On a yeah. I, I like where this is going. Yeah. I'm putting my I wish list together right now. Minigun helicopter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for letting me think about that for a second. <laughs> okay. So now we're getting into the, now here we go, the meat and potatoes of this. So what is Green Ops? What can you tell us about the company? And uh, its mission. Sure. Want me to go first, Luke? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so uh, Green Ops is a, you know, firearms training company. Um, we are based in Northern Virginia. That's where the company was created. But... It, the owner moved to Texas and he started up a chapter down in Texas and he's assembled a crew of here, Texas to continue the, the successful formula down there. So green ops, you know, was originally Mike green and his crew. And the way I see green ops as being special, unique and wonderful is that, our formula is we have a team, right? We're a team of talented um, professional instructors. And our product is that you, when you come to us as a student, whether, if, whether it's for uh, private instruction from, you know, you know, basic 101 stuff to advanced competitive shooting, tackle games type of stuff, you're going to get an instructor who cares about your, uh, you know, cares about 
uh, your skill and making you better for what you need, right? Um, it'll be tailored to what you need and the instructor will take pride in, in helping you achieve those goals. And when you come to a class, you know, you don't come to a class and just get a bunch of random drills thrown at you out of a book. You get personal attention and feedback the entire class, right? The entire time. Um, so that's the real benefit in the formula is that we have a crew, everyone's responsible, professional and talented, and you get a lot of feedback from all of them, you know, the entire time you're training with us. So the value that you get from training with us is uh, super high. And um, we run a lot of classes and we've got a good cadre. So uh, I, I might be repeating myself now. So I'll let, I'll let Luke say his piece, I guess. I can't add too much to that, right? But I will just harp on uh josh said we're a team and i think that is our biggest asset we we have a group of people that you've got josh who's a grandmaster shooter i mean we're talking top five percent in the country at shooting a dotted pistol we've got somebody like chris alvarez who is a uh former a ranger he is a tactical games athlete um has competes in the elite division um, top three, top two, usually when he does compete. Um, and then you got people like me who no military, no law enforcement, just like to shoot. And all of those different personalities come together in such a way. It just makes a great training experience for the students. Uh, you know, we, we see a lot of students that come in that are not military, not law enforcement, um, that are just like me, right? Or just like Josh. All they want to do is be a grandmaster like Josh. So we have all this different um, expertise of knowledge to impart on students. So it seems like, you know, we can get a group of 22 students uh, to teach a class in each one, each student will, you know, get something that definitely pertains to their needs and their wants by the end of the day. Um, individual attention. Um, yeah, we just got like a great team and, and all of us together, you know, not one of us has all those expertise and all those skills, but us together, we really make just a solid, uh, solid formula for training. That, yeah, that's, that's what I forgot to add is that it's not, it's not just a good crew. Every single one of us brings something great to the table, right? Every, every single person on the team has a unique background and experience, but everybody brings something different and combined. It's like serious, serious force multipliers for providing training. Um, you know, really good. Uh, uh, everybody, everybody working together makes a really excellent product for people's training needs. How many of you are there? Um, that's a good question. Uh, in Northern Virginia, we now have nine guys, I believe, and a and sometimes guest instructors. Like uh, we've got uh, Carla Hertzik. Uh, who's a tactical games competitor. She's been a competitive shooter for longer than I have. Um, she's teaching a, a ladies only class coming up soon, but we've got 10 guys like on the roster here in Northern Virginia and Mike's assembled uh, uh, three or four new uh, additions to the green ops team down in Texas and the San Antonio area. 
Um, and I tell you what, Mike Green, this is going to sound like bragging, but he, he's got an eye for talent. He does a really good job of kind of handpicking guys that he, you know, vets their skill level, but more importantly, their ability to teach well. And, you know, personality wise, he's got a really good eye for that. And the guys that he kind of picked when he brought me on, um, we really all came together as a really good team. And, you know, we all trust each other and the classes are, you know, they end up really, really great. You know what I mean? So it's just, um, he did a good job handpicking people and any guy that Mike's like, Hey, we're bringing this guy on. You just know that dude is going to be badass, right? He's going to be a great teacher. He's going to be a great shooter. Like it's going to be awesome to be teammates having this person in the group with us, you know? So, um, you know, I think everyone's super proud to be part of the, the green ops organization because of that. Okay. I look forward to getting my invite to join the team any day now. <laughs> Excited. Now, um, with the whole ammo apocalypse, has that affected the training classes at all or how you um, structure them? Uh, it's unclear whether the ammo shortage has affected attendance yet. I think we're starting to see that, um, but it's hard to say. Um, we've definitely had students need to need some help finding ammo for the classes. Um, and we've helped them do that. We are absolutely incorporating dry fire like we always have been. But now I think there's probably more emphasis on, you know, where can we maximize the training value through dry fire and using lower round count drills. Uh, so we're definitely trying to keep the ammo count, uh, the ammo usage down relative to what we normally would have done, right? Like normally you put a max amount of ammo you're going to shoot in the class at the very most. Um, we're lowering that for sure. So. Yeah. And, and at each class we kind of talk about, um, we have a, five pillars of performance that we go over in the classes. Um, one of which is dry fire. So we make sure that we are dry firing in the class a little bit more now. Also, we talk about live fire. Um, and I mean, you know, as well as uh, everybody else with as a competitive shooter, now with this ammo crunch, you can't go out to the range and take, you know, 200 rounds of ammo and if you shoot 200, cool. Maybe I planned on shooting 150, but I've got extra. I just go ahead and shoot it. We're kind of taking the same approach with our classes as well, right? So we have a pretty strict um, round count that we want to adhere to, and we are really close to that number. Um, there's no extra, yeah, let's just shoot some more for the sake of shooting more. Every round has a purpose, right? So if we have you doing... 10 repetitions of whatever XYZ drill, there's a reason we're doing 10 and not 11 or nine. You know, we've really kind of uh, gone through most of our drills, gone through our POIs and made sure that every round counts and that you're going to get the most out of every round that you shoot in our classes. Ooh, POI. I haven't heard that in a while. I like that. That's an old military term right there. So I was actually going to ask for those people that didn't know what POI meant. What does POI mean? 
to me, <laughs> to me, it means uh, what somebody or I develop to send out to the guys and say, hey, these are the drills we're doing. Um, yeah. but it's points of instruction, I believe. <laughs> yeah, it can be program or period of instruction, points of instruction, but it's, yeah, it's a thing of instruction that starts with a P. <laughs> exactly. Now, let's say someone, let's say someone, um, you know, there are people out there, still who have a large, large cache of ammo and they come to your class so you have a strict set number of rounds. We're doing this so many times. Uh, I don't know how your classes are structured, so I don't know if there are breaks in there, but what if someone with extra ammo wanted to run a drill you guys have done during a break? Is there the flexibility in the class for that to occur? Yeah, we usually... Absolutely. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah, you know... We, we, we try to keep the classes on task and we have a program of instruction that we try to adhere to. Right. But, um, you know, if there's breaks, you know, we've got a range that allows us to be flexible with some of the stuff we do. So, uh, yeah, sometimes, you know, lunch break or, or if we're taking uh, like a water or piss break or people are just opening mags, like, you know, we'll let people know, Hey, you know, eyes and ears, we're going to go hot while you guys are over there and uh, you know, we'll, we'll supervise um, extra drills in between. Sometimes the instructors are doing uh, things that they want to practice. You know, they're taking the opportunity in between, in between blocks of instruction to get their own reps in stuff like that. So uh, yeah, we do that for sure. Okay. Also, if we, if we notice students and, and this happens not a lot, but it has happened where maybe a student, isn't exactly where we need to be. Need them to be. Let's say we're on drill five of the day, and we need them to be a little bit better or a little bit more efficient with something. During some of those breaks, we do take some of those students over to the side if they one have ammo and they have the time and everything. We'll take them over and try to get them squared away. Once we're not slowing down the uh, class, but we're giving them more of that one-on-one -on -one attention, so they can get to the level that uh, one they probably want to get to, but also that we want them to be at by, you know, the end of the day, lunchtime, whatever it may be. Okay. Well, that's good. Uh, are there any, I know that we got kind of a couple questions, but are, are there any common issues that you guys find in your classes that shooters are coming up against, be it, you know, front side focus, grip, you know, jerking the trigger? Are there just things that you guys see regularly that are issues that could be fixed with dry fire at home or something like that? Um, I, I will say that the number one thing that most people need is simply uh, basic fundamentals of marksmanship training, right? Like how do I how do I manipulate the trigger and keep the sights where they need to be so that the bullet goes where I want it to? Um, we usually you know we run you know the the level one classes are defensive pistol, defensive carbine. And we start with a, you know, like a fundamentals assessment. Uh, we'll start with some basics, but we pretty quickly progress up through a series of uh, skills that, you know, we want them to be able to do safely. Like we try and expose students to as much as they can safely, right? The entire idea behind Green Ops when Mike created it was 
why should your training be any less special? Right. So he takes his POIs from training special forces and training soldiers, you know, to what he does. And he applied that to civilian training. So we progressed pretty quickly up through stacking skills together, right. Into more complex things. And I wouldn't call any of the classes we do really basic, right. It's a progression starting and building from that. So a lot of times people come in, um, lacking very basic fundamentals. And we're always able to help them with that and work through that, right? And get them up. But um, in general, uh, people have trouble just simply putting bullets exactly where they want them to, right? Um, basic marksmanship, like I said. And we just started offering a class that Luke ran a couple weekends ago called uh, Advanced Application of Pistol Fundamentals. And it's basically an entire class dedicated to teaching people how to put bullets exactly where they want them to. Um, because that seems to be the skill that most people actually need to learn. Right. Um, but if you told somebody like, Hey, we're going to spend eight hours just shooting uh, bullseyes, basically, you know, people aren't going to necessarily want to do that. They want to do the fun, sexy ninja stuff. Right. So you kind of have to um, understand what people need and how to give them what they need give them their medicine without them knowing it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Okay. So, um, put it in some peanut butter and shove it in their face. Yeah. <laughs> so Luke, that, you want to expand on your, that class you built or created? Designed? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, we launched it first time, uh, uh last Saturday, I guess. Um, and so I've been with green ops, like I said, almost two years. The one thing that I noticed that uh, students, they could shoot and hit a silhouette target. But if we're asking them to shoot the A zone or the top half of the A zone, so the up, upper thoracic area, um, you know, it, maybe it wasn't just uh, as natural or they just couldn't do it on demand. So came up with this, um, this concept of basically uh, advanced pistol fundamentals, right? Uh, being an advanced shooter, is nothing more than being able to put a bullet exactly where you want to go on demand. Now, whether that means while walking, while shooting on the move, behind a barricade, awkward positions, all of that stuff, like, okay, I mean, it's different. Maybe I could be upside down, whatever, but the, the fundamentals of shooting don't change whether you're shooting on the move or in, in some sort of weird position. So, um, we taught a class specifically to that, right? Like we want to show you how to basically line up your sights, grip the gun and press the trigger and put a bullet exactly where you want it to go 100% of the time. Now, can I do that every single time? Probably. I can't do it hundred percent of the time. Um, but I'm always working toward that. Also, as I'm getting better, um, and learning new skills, uh, in shooting, I'm, realizing that the fundamentals you you very quickly lose those because that high speed stuff is fun running and gunning and all of that but all that really doesn't matter if you can't put a bullet where you need it to go like in the x ring or in the 10 ring on demand at any time so that was basically the class i think we're going to be running it again um late summer i believe um it's a great class we had uh 16 students um all of them blown away uh, uh, I would say about four to five of them, I would say were, uh, 
a higher level shooter to include some A-class uh, uh, USPSA guys were there. Um, and then maybe about two thirds of them were more on the beginner side, but everybody that came out of that class gave glowing reviews, just, you know, mind blown at how simple something can be and how complex it can also be at the same time. Now, was this just like an hour long thing or is this a, a whole class all to itself? This is taking eight hours to pull the trigger. So we, okay. we did an entire eight hour class. Um, basically, we went over the draw. Uh, nothing for speed, more for safety. Uh, how to get your gun out of the holster and up on target. And then from there, bullets going downrange. Um, we didn't go over malfunctions, reloads, shooting around barricades, uh, any of that type of stuff. Just Literally was getting out and shoot. Okay. Yeah, so this is like this would be a level one class, basically. Just how not to shoot yourself in a foot. I, I actually would honestly say no. I think it okay. was um I'm not gonna say an advanced class, mm -hmm. but the more you do this, the more the advanced class is nothing but just that, right? Putting the bullet where it needs to go. Um, so I would say it is just a, it, it's definitely good for like lower level or beginner students, but there was nothing wrong. We, like I said, we had some guys in there that were A-class shooters that gave some glowing reviews afterwards. Awesome. Like, oh my gosh, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I've been doing this since the nineties. Um, and just trying to dispel some myths and things that have kind of been you know, thrown out there before. I know Josh and I took a class from uh, a national instructor and we spent two days shooting nothing but V8s. And um, at the time, if you would have asked me, this was uh, about two years ago that we took this class. If you would have told me the day before the class that I was going to shoot V8s, I would have told you that was a waste of time. I know what I'm doing. And at the end of the second day, I remember my review of the class was, this is exactly what I needed. I didn't know I needed it, and it's exactly what I needed. It was, yeah, Steve Fisher class. And I, I think he changes his classes all the time, but he, you know, he looked at us at that class, and he's like, we're going to shoot B8s for two days. And he didn't tell us that up front, but that's what we ended up doing, and every single person loved it. I, I I loved it. Like it was a fantastic class, um, which I, I, I think that's a little bit of where the idea for this class came from. Uh, I don't want to speak for Luke, but um, we shot, we basically shot BH for two days and it was fantastic. Um, it was a really good class. So um, it sounds weird, but it's true. That was an excellent class. So for the, everybody out in podcast land, what is a B8? Uh, B8 is a, uh, NRA, it's a designation for an NRA, uh, like standard target. It's a bullseye target. Uh, it's got a, you know, a 10 ring and nine ring and eight ring, uh, an X ring in the middle. Uh, and generally we just shoot this, they're called, uh, repair centers. It's just like the center of a giant NRA standard target. So it's basically, uh, like a 12 by 12, uh, or a half by 11 piece of paper with, uh, like a six inch black section. That's the X 10 and nine ring. Um, so you've got kind of a black circle you're aiming at and, you know, a tiny little like one inch X in the middle. Maybe it's a two inch X. I'm not sure if you know off the top of your head. Luke. Um, and so you score them 
right? You, you shoot them at different distances. Our standard is like 25 yards. You shoot these, you get all the shots in the 10 or the X, you shoot a hundred, right? Each shot's worth 10 points. So if you get a, if you get one round in the nine, you're down one point, you get a 99, right? So you score them based on a hundred points, 10 shots generally, uh, and how many X's you get. So, you know, you can shoot a 110 X would be a perfect B8. I've never seen anybody do that. Maybe that I could think of, but I'm sure someone has. Um, so, you know, you're doing this with a Glock at 25 yards, it's kind of impressive uh, to, for people that do this. And it's hard at first, but the more you do it, you know, you kind of figure out uh, how to do it correctly. Mm -hmm. and, and you pull off some pretty impressive shooting. Have, have either one of you shot NRA pistol before? Not me. Okay. Because um, that's... There's a that's basically it with one handed. It's all strong hand, right? Slow fire, rapid fire, all of that. I shot, I did, I I've shot a an NRA pistol match before, but I I wasn't a fan of that. But I've shot a lot of NRA high power rifle, so it's the same concept with a rifle out to maximum of a thousand yards. So same thing. So. On that okay. same target, out at a thousand yards. No, it the um, what happens is you have your X10 nine, so you're typically with an NRA target. Now they've expanded into F class and some other stuff, but I'm going to keep it the normal, simple iron sight target. It's your X ring is one MOA, and your ten ring is two MOA. So. If you're at 600 yards, your X ring is six inches and your 10 ring is basically 12 inches. Same thing all the way back to a thousand. So it's black on a white target. So it's black on white. But you do, you know, the strategy is a little different. Like at a thousand yards, you're not going to know where your front sight post is and the center of that black is. So you end up putting, you zero your gun to where the top of the front sight post is right at the base of your black circle. And you can match that up. So there's other little tips and strategies, but anyway, same thing. But that's that's curious. So I'm I'm that's very interesting that you guys found that that was uh, very eye opening for you. Absolutely. And in that in that advanced fundamentals class uh, that we taught on last week, I mean, we had I had students that had honestly never shot one handed, and we were taking strong hand only shots onto uh, like C-Zone Steel at 80, 90 yards, and they were getting first-round hits um, out at that distance. That's a big deal. Yeah, that's awesome. As somebody who's nemesis, like Steel is my nemesis, so yeah, it doesn't like me. He is not exaggerating. That's that's <laughs> full-blown true statement. I, I, think he, I think he left a case of brass on the ground at Nationals with all the Steel targets. I have feelings. <laughs> you know, at some point, I'll, you can do the math I will and say, figure out that leaving it's better than actually just standing there and shooting it. I think yeah, I could have just thrown did. the gun. I will. I know I would have hit it then. <laughs> now, hold on. We got to tell the story, Leo. All I know, all I know is I, I ate well because of him. Yeah. All <laughs> uh, you got to tell him though, your one trick shot down there aiming for steel. Oh. So I broke a stage. <laughs> Single-handedly. 
Dest I blew up a stage. So had to shoot a popper to activate uh, a bobber uh, yeah. behind steel in a ring. Instead of hitting the popper, I hit the, the <laughs> braided cable that activated the bobber from, what, 25, 30 yards away? Yeah. So a piece something of braided that... steel thinner than this? <laughs> yeah. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> so I think he's graduated shot. the B8 class. <laughs> yeah. I could have gone home. I'm like, I, yeah, I win. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, with strong hand, I it's interesting because that we've talked about it on previous podcasts, how everyone is so accustomed to all right, get a good grip, two hands, your support hand, but never in competition or in the real life situation you could find yourself in where you know you're in a defensive situation and you get hit. Now you have to manipulate your firearm with your either strong hand or your weak hand. And that is something that is very um ignored, I guess. And then, and then shooting like one handed out at 80, 90 yards, whatever we were, you know, strong and support side. Am I ever in, in life, am I ever going to take a shot one handed at 80? Let's split the difference 85 yards. No, 0% chance I'm ever taking that shot. But now I got to take a 15 yard shot right. on a mini popper at a USPSA match. That, that's simple because I just right. did it 70 yards behind me. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just it's the equivalent. If you're if you're a bow hunter, you shoot out to 60 yards, you know, and you're 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 aiming at that that good vital organs. But are you ever really going to take that shot in a hunting situation? No. But now when you're at 30 yards, you're like, oh, I know I can make that shot. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. I'm not sure why, but I lost Leo. I don't hear him at all. Oh, I, I can hear Leo. Hmm. But I, I lost all of you at one point. So I had you all in my heart, though. <laughs> I, I rejoined, and everybody's talking. I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, all right. Let's hope it was still recording because that was the best content I had. And all right, uh, we can all go then. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, that, that is some very good conversation there. So. I was looking again. I was I went through all of the links you guys had, and I had a question in particular about some of your classes. You have a defensive pistol one and two, a tactical pistol one, two, and three, and a high performance pistol. You also have that same option with a carbine. What, as someone who's looking at those three things, what? What is the difference between those? What is the difference between defensive, tactical, and high performance? So defensive defensive classes are the ones we teach the most, um, for sure. That's pretty much the main classes that we run. Um, and defensive one, you know, like I said, we, we start out with kind of fundamentals assessment, do some basic stuff, make sure people are – safe and going to start off on the right foot and then we just build from there um with the drills in a defensive context right talking about defensive gun advanced generally right we're going to be looking at using the firearm in a different context potentially um 
and we basically just have more leeway of the POI that we want to run, um, you know, may depend on the, uh, the student, you know, body that we get. Um, but those are basically based on Mike Green's, um, Mike Green's POIs, and then we'll tweak them and <clears throat> change them for whatever we want to teach. So those may include <clears throat> those I would say would, would take your level two defensive classes and then continue from there. Right. So there'll be more advanced stuff, like more movement stuff, maybe some team, some buddy stuff, right. Working in, in teams with another person, um, <clears throat> just stacking the skills into more complex things. Right. Cause it's all about just mastering the basics and then executing those basics under different scenarios and different situations. So, um, and then high performance, that may be a holdover from old classes, but we haven't run anything titled high performance since I've been on that I know of. Um, <clears throat> what do you think, Luke? Yeah, I, I'm not I, – I agree. I don't know that it's probably a holdover somewhere. We've not run anything high performance. I know um, – more of our competition stuff and maybe that's what you're referring to oh duh. um but um uh, I, I don't know a high performance pistol that could be also you know the the guys down in in texas are running on um, some classes too and that might be a brainchild that uh mike is coming up with and just hasn't briefed us on it and come up here and kind of trained us on what he's thinking and in uh, the route that he's going with that. So it's one or two. It's either competition or something I think that's uh, coming soon. Yeah, our, our competition classes are definitely, you know, you have a uh, a requirement, uh, prerequisite before coming in that you're classified a certain level or you have a certain amount of classes or experience. And then, you know, the, the, the class is like, hey, look, here's how you're good at USPSA is our – is what our eight hour class generally is now. Um, and we'll run it with USPSA particularly in mind. And like, you know, here's how to be a grandmaster in USPSA or a master, you know what I mean? Um, here's everything we know about this sport, what you should be doing and thinking about. And, you know, most importantly, how do you do the work on your own, right? How do you train yourself? What should you be doing on your own? So, um, yeah, that would I would that would fall under high performance. I would say doesn't get any more high performance than USPSA, in my opinion. You're talking guns. Okay, and and you're just to summarize, you're saying the tactical pistol just builds on defensive, where you may be doing stuff in, with buddies or other things like that. Yeah, so the defensive two classes, right? It'll incorporate some movement. It'll incorporate some harder stuff, you know, barricades, target discrimination, probably some, a little more physical stuff. And then the tactical will just continue on taking that. So okay, Mike Green, Mike Green ran a two day tactical carbine and pistol class. And it was, you know, I, I'm sure it's the type of stuff that he took from his time training special forces and training indigenous forces. And it's, um, you know, more complex stuff. <clears throat> um, I did a two-day tactical rifle class. There's a lot more movement. 
Um, we did some more, you know, the, the that class culminated in um, 300 yard range, having them run, uh, you know, run up, engage targets at various distances uh, from tank traps, from barricades, getting their heart rate up. Um, so a lot more physical stress too. Adding some physical stress for sure, you know, using shot timers. So I was just continuing to stack skills and okay. stress. Um, I noticed you have a pistol and a carbine class combined in there. Uh, I saw that you have transitions. I'm assuming you're not just talking target transitions, but also transitioning from pistol to carbine, carbine to pistol, that type of thing. Yep. Right. Okay. From from rifle to pistol, when your rifle runs dry or goes down, uh, that kind of stuff. People love that stuff too. People really want to learn how to do that. <laughs> yeah, it was probably three or four years ago. Um, I took my sons on vacation, just the three of us down to Southwest Virginia. A buddy of mine had a house down there and a bunch of property. And I actually took my two kids to an area where he shoots on that property. And I actually ran them through some pistol and carbine transitions down there. So it is a fun thing. Super so, fun. Yeah. Also in that course, uh, I see that you have close contact drills. Um, can, now when I was in, we differentiated between near and far contact. I don't know how you guys do it, but can you define what your close contact is for your close contact drills? Um, I mean, we're talking about, so we'll do defensive drills from, depending on whether it's pistol or rifle, you know, three, five, seven yards. A lot of the work we do is in that range inside 10 yards anyways, obviously. Um, when I think back to Mike's two-day pistol and rifle class, so I went through it right before I moved to Texas a couple of years ago. Um, and what did he do for close contact? Um, I'd have to look at the POI, but there's no... I'm not sure if you're thinking like retention shooting and like combative stuff. Um, we generally don't, none of us do that in our classes. We do have one of the guys in Texas is a combatives instructor and uh, he has had some classes on the books that are about that combatives, close contact, retention, striking, gun grappling, that kind of thing. Um, but that's not generally a course that we're doing up here. I, I I try I try to leave my background out of this um, when we do these interviews, but I guess to expand on this to maybe help answer the question. So, like I spent five years in Marine Recon, okay, and so we would do um, immediate action drills. We'd have them all planned out. We'd rehearse them everything for near far contact um, and ambush, near ambush, far ambush. So depending on the contact depends on whether we're going to be aggressive and um, oh. move through the contact or if it's far enough away we you know we may just do a, an Australian peel for example and try to break contact 
So I guess what I'm trying to find out when, so when I see close contact drills, I'm like, okay, what, what are they defining as close contact? Are we talking 10, 15 yards, five yards? I don't know. So that's where for me, I was like, Hmm, what is, how do they define close contact? So this is a question for like the Chris Alvarez's or the Brian Christensen's or the Jose Gordon's or like, you know, my wheelhouse is competition. I teach people how to use guns okay, really well. Um, I'll let Luke for, speak for himself, but you know, that's not my wheelhouse. That would be a, that would be a Chris Alvarez con, con, uh, question. He's, you know, master Sergeant Alvarez comes out on the range and he loves like, he loves bringing that side of them out sometimes and talking about army tactics and shit. And I let him run away with that. So, but I don't touch that stuff. That's not okay. My if we're talking about close contact uh, and I'm talking about it, you know, and I'm talking about defensive gun use, I'm talking about a nine millimeter pistol, uh, you know, getting it into action quickly, but that's, you know, I just like shooting guns and teaching people how to shoot them and run them mostly. Okay. All right. I'm down with that. Now, I, I did have a question about Texas, but you guys have actually answered it in that Mike moved down there. I didn't realize he had moved down there and opened up like another chapter or another organization, different lo uh, location. Um, so do any of you guys ever travel down there to shoot and um, – help instruct down there or are you guys pretty much where you're at on both ends of this geography? Well, we're, we're, so we don't really travel down there. Um, not saying we're against it, but Mike has kind of developed his own team um, of guys. He's brought another one or two guys on board down there. Um, but we are open to travel, right? So um, you can host, green ops if you're anywhere in the country um and whether it's mike and that texas team comes to you or the virginia crew um comes to you to give you uh training definitely are able to uh to get on the move get on some wheels and uh, head out there um yeah so we we will travel we have not traveled that much i know we've done some classes mike has done some classes obviously in texas virginia mississippi um, I believe down in North Carolina. So uh, he has done some traveling for green ops and we will, we just have not. Yeah. He, okay. he right in 29, the end of 2019, I think. And then um, COVID happened. So nobody was, none of, most of us weren't traveling at all. And then he just started teaching classes in the last half of 2020. I'd say he started running classes under the green ops banner down there. Um, and he just brought on some new guys relatively recently. So it's kind of a new thing that said, I would love to go down to Texas, um, and have us all together and, and have us train together and stuff, um, or have that, some of them come up here and I'm sure we will at some point just haven't had a chance yet. Yeah. I saw where, um, I saw where there were, uh, training sessions being offered down there. And I saw it looks like it's about 20 minutes outside of San Antonio to the south and 20 minutes outside of San Antonio to the north. So that would be definitely be a fun place to go and do some, some training. 
yeah, the rules. Now, I, mean, I now, as you guys have said, you're both USPSA competitors. How how has Green Ops helped your shooting, uh, USPSA, and and likewise, how has USPSA helped you at Green Ops? Well, for me, um, yeah, I mean, Green Ops has been a huge blessing for me. It's been a great thing just generally. Um, but being able to teach people, right, the act of teaching people helps you, right? You get something out of it too, right? It, it helps you improve, right, whether it's just – the way you're thinking about things, um, having to teach somebody and explain something, right. It helps your understanding of the process and the, and the techniques. So, um, teaching, being on the range a lot, uh, demoing drills, right. We demo everything we do. Um, so we get a lot of reps in, you know, we get to, we get to handle guns and, and run guns and shoot a lot because we're teaching. So it's, you know, it's not strictly USPSA practice, but we're still getting a lot of reps in. We're getting a lot of range right. time. That's good. Um, you know, it helps keep our skills fresh. Uh, I think shooting USPSA helps for obvious reasons, right? Like we really understand or at least are starting to understand and continue to think about how do I uh, handle and run a gun as accurately and as efficiently as possible. Right. And we're talking about human performance and finding the very edge of that human performance. And, and that's our goal. Right. So, you know, striving for that and working on those skills is very eye opening. you know, when you really start exploring that and it, it, it translates in pretty obvious ways to teaching because, you know, when you're trying to teach somebody, that this may be like sorcery to generally having that much skill and experience from shooting competition. It, it makes it easy for you to simplify it. it makes it easier for you to break down really what they need to focus on and do um, in the simplest terms. Uh, at least for me, I, uh, you know, I, I love, I love teaching this stuff. And <clears throat> if I wasn't shooting USPSA or competition, I don't really know how much I would really be bringing to the table, to be honest. So USPSA has um, been the biggest, the major, the biggest factor for building my skill and my ability to teach in general, I think. Um, I, I think a lot of people miss the connection between competition shooting and defensive or tactical shooting. It really builds, as as you guys have been saying, I, I really feel it builds that very strong base for just gun handling skills in general. Like I was like, when, when I started to get, I had been shooting, I'd gotten back into shooting and I was shooting high power and I'm like, you know what, I want to shoot some pistol. I saw some stuff. I'm like, yeah, this is cool. I'm like, I shot expert every single time in the military. I picked up a pistol. I can do this. Uh, You suck, Riddle. <laughs> uh, it was pretty bad. I'm like, I had no idea how bad I sucked until I started shooting competition. And then you start making the connection and you're like, it all translates. Everything you do 
in that practical shooting competition translates over because it's draw, it's, you know, acquiring your sights and putting the sights on the target or, you know, finding your target and putting the sights there and being able to engage. And as we talked about earlier, you know, having a very high percentage of first round impact where you want it to go. And it, I see it was an eye opener for me how bad of a, a pistol marksman I was. Now, I won't say pistol marksman. That wasn't the problem. But using a pistol in a practical sense, I was horrible. Yeah. And uh, I'll give you Luke a chance to talk, but the competition side, getting good at that, right? It's just about efficiency and making all those skills subconscious, right? So now you can just grab your gun, get it out, and put rounds where you want to without having to think about that whole process. It's just subconscious. And the better and more efficient you are at that, right? You're just getting that done while it frees up your brain to do all the really complicated shit that you might have to do, like dealing with people or situations or chaos, right? Or who knows what the, the shooting accurately and efficiently part that's in there. So, you know, when you add, when you add stress and, and complicating factors, that stuff's just subconscious and you don't have to think about, you know, the shooting process necessarily. Uh, and I, you know, I, I think people understand that like Mike Green gets it right. Mike Green's a huge proponent of, of competition. And most of the most capable and badass dudes that I know understand that and appreciate that. So, but general public, yeah, yeah there's the, 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 the myth that continues that competition may be bad for you, but I, I, I feel like people are coming around more. That's good. The, the best shooters in the world shoot competition right so what why not one learn from those guys but also try to see how you stack up against them best way to do it is a is some sort of match doubling back you had asked like how does green ops help me in uspsa and how does uspsa you know to wash the other hand how does that help with green ops you know every time i go out to teach a class i am basically shooting a match right I've got to perform on demand every single time. One, my credibility needs to be there. But two, you know, I, I'm, I cannot ask students to do something that I am either not willing to do or can't do myself. And so having that level of not saying nervousness or anything like that, but right. it's, it's kind of a, you know, I'm put on a pedestal every single time that I go to shoot, whether it's USPSA or Green Ops. So it's helped me both ways there. Also the crew that we have, I mean, I get to shoot with Josh Shaw. He's a grandmaster USPSA carry optics guy. That's cheating by the way. Not too many people. Uh, well, whatever. We're cheaters. cheaters. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're not cheating. You're not trying. Exactly. That's right. So I get to shoot with a guy that, you know, shoots at one of the highest levels in the country. Every time we get to go out, you know, we teach a class. So I get to shoot with people that are really awesome that correlates back over to USPSA, you know? Um, I mean, just the idea of putting yourself, we talk about a lot in classes, but being able to put yourself under pressure um, and test those skills, um, manipulation of the firearm, shooting the firearm, everything. Um, 
you know, you got to be able to do that. You got to do something to put yourself under that pressure. USPSA does that in teaching in front of students, you know, demoing stuff puts a little bit of pressure on me, makes me that much better of a shooter. And that's the other, the other thing about it, how good our team is, is I know no matter what I can count on the guys on the green ops team to perform. Right. If I'm like, Hey, uh, Luke's going to demo this right now. I know he's going to crush it. Right. I have no doubt. I, I know, I know that they're all capable. Um, and the other thing about competition versus, you know, doing combat skills, I've seen enough overlap in guys that do both that I know that there's really not a whole lot that differs other than, you know, scenarios and context. Um, just a couple quick stories. One of the, one of my private students um, that I had the privilege of teaching is a, a retired CAG guy, right? He's a, he's a Delta operator and he came to me because he wanted to get better at USPSA. And he recognized there was things about shooting pistols that he didn't know. Um, and he wants to get to that level. Right. So I got to do a private lesson with, uh, you know, America's most elite special operations, direct assault action guys. Right. Um, and so that's awesome for me. Like, uh, but this guy wants to get better with this pistol. So he comes to a competition guy, right. Case in point. Um, when I was deployed in 2019, I made friends with uh, a Ranger platoon, uh, their team lead. I went to the range with them. We shot some pistols after we, you know, I shot their rifle qual with them, which was cool, which was really fun. Um, and uh, it was fun for me. And after we went to the range, uh, the team lead was like, hey, I want you to come work with my guys with pistol stuff. Right. They, they carry Glock 19s on target. Um, as a, as a secondary, right. Which, you know, they're probably never going to need, but they, they carry them as part of their SOP. And so he asked me to come work with them. And all I did was dry fire with them. I went once a week, I spent two hours dry firing with them. I taught them how to dry fire for their own improvement, right? Here's how you do it guys. Here's how you use dry fire and shot timers to get better with pistols. Um, the first week I worked with them then gave them homework and then by the end of the first week, the team lead hit me up. He's like, holy shit, this stuff is amazing. Like we were kind of skeptical at first um, and now we're true believers. Um, and he's like, like, their pistol skills were, they just leveled up immediately. You know what I mean? And so I did that for several weeks and gave them homework. And they're, you know, they're, they were Rangers are the best students you could ask for, right? They did the work, <laughs> you know, Drifer works, you know, so that, that methodology really is proven. And, and those guys are direct assault action guys, right? They're, they're raiding compounds and going out and doing counterterrorism stuff. And, uh, and they, you know, I got to, I got to show them how to be better with handguns if they need them and how to use dry fire to improve their gun handling skills in general, right? Tailor your skills to be rifle skills or, you know, your rifle goes down, transition to pistol skills. You can do all that in dry fire. And I, you know, I showed them that stuff um, and they loved it. They ate it up. So it's the gulf between competition and like tactical stuff. It's, it's, it's non-existent to me really. It doesn't. I agree. Shouldn't matter. And, and they're able to take what you taught them and apply it in a real world situation and possibly even save their lives or their buddies. So yeah, it's fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. So for me, that was one of the most rewarding experiences I've had from a 
being part of green ops was being able to do that, you know, and my experience with teaching and what I've learned from the other guys and from Mike green, you know, helped me have confidence when I was working with them. Um, and I asked Mike, I was like, Mike, dude, what do I, how do I teach these goddamn ninjas, bro? And he's like, the easiest way to teach ninjas is just put your money where your mouth is and show them. Um, well, that's what I did and it worked great. But, but yeah, it's cool. cool so, stuff. But, but that's a good thing because, you know, so often you, and you hear it, but perception is reality. And I think like you're saying that, that, that chasm that, that used to exist where people are like competition shooting can't relate to, you know, defensive or tactical shooting and vice versa. And to be able to narrow that gap to be negligible and for more people to understand that there isn't really a difference is a, is a good thing because it gets people into competition shooting, it gets people into understanding its relevance in, you know, everyday carry or defensive shooting. So that's, that's awesome. I totally agree. And now that uh, USPSA changed some of the rules, yes. um, you, know, you might get some more more carryover. You know, the the guy that just wants to. I mean, I got into USPSA originally because I was a concealed carrier, and I just wanted to get better at shooting. That was it. I I, I had no aspirations Same. to do anything other than just go play around, have fun, but also test my skills. And now with these new rules, right? You can run appendix. You can shoot production from appendix. You can carry, you know, if you, if you carry a light, you can use light, whatever. Um, so maybe it will open up um, more opportunity for people that think that the competition world will get you killed in the streets, right? Maybe it op opens them up to a new world where they think, hmm, maybe there's something to this competition. I'm getting much better as a pistol shooter. Yeah, and, and I, I was much the same way. I, I have zero aspiration, and I, I would say that I don't want to speak for Huggy uh, or Dave, but none of us is is going to be the next insert famous shooter here. Um, you know, we're we're really just competing to be better than we were the last time, or just to improve in our, like you said, our, the application of because I'm, I'm just pretty sure all of us carry. Um, so yeah. I, I think it's it, that reality sets in for all of us where we're just trying to be better than we were before. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, like, like I said, I started just because I wanted to be a better concealed carrier. I, I never thought, so I have goals written down from when I started USPSA and my goal, my original goal was to be a B class shooter. Now I'm an A class shooter and it's like, Hmm, Maybe that goal does need to be master class, grandmaster level. But to to answer the original question or the original goal that I set out for myself, I just wanted to be a better concealed carrier, and I achieved that by going to USPSA matches. I didn't I didn't get any. I mean, I got better by taking classes and doing you know training on my own. But USPSA was a thing that made me you know want to practice more, dry fire on a regular schedule live fire on a regular schedule that was the thing that pushed me to get that much better it wasn't me just saying hey i want to be safer better with a pistol there was something there and it was uspsa is what drove me to hey start getting better with a pistol yeah there you go 
And then you go to those matches and you see some of these guys that it's like, wow, you think you're good. And then you go watch somebody just, you know, clean your clock one time. It's like, did they even see sites? Did they see a dot? I, I, I have no idea how they did it so fast. And then you go look at the targets, alphas, and you're like, oh my gosh. I, Wizardry. Those, yeah, sorcery, right? That's what Josh yeah. said earlier. Yeah. Sorcery. Yeah. You had no idea. Before you go to a USPSA match, you think you know what's pretty good. And then you go there and you see some of these guys shoot. And then it's like, whoa, good is that much better than what I thought it was. But that drives you to want to be that guy. Absolutely. And if, if Absolutely. that's if that's not motivation for you to get better, you may as well just stay home. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Because you see that it, especially like your first match, it's kind of you know you're figuring things out. But once you get to about three or four matches, at that point, you realize, hey, this guy's cleaning my clock. I got to figure out some way. He may always beat me, but he's not just going to demolish me every single time. Right. The gap will get narrower and and, and narrower. Exactly. Yeah. Even if you have to trip them. I'm not above <laughs> cheating. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Wins win. <laughs> Are you guys going to be involved in the um, low power variable variable optic class? Uh, I'd like to be. Yeah. A, a, we have a few guys that I know are interested in helping create that class. I'm one of them. So um, I expect we'll likely be involved. I just don't know how much yet. That seems to, that seems to be growing. Um, I mean, and, and actually the NRA has opened up their high power because the military went to ACOGS and they were, qualifying with optics on rifles the nra allows a one to four power variable optic on the semi-auto rifles in competition hmm. so it's it's grown it's in competition in nra a lot of people are going to the low power variable optic what's do you guys know what the time frame is for those classes to start going live with green ops or I think we have one on the calendar, don't we? We do, and I think it's late summer. I think it's um, like early July, fall. I want to say, I thought. Okay, so midsummer. The, the, the issue that we're running into is, um, so I'm not developing. I mean, I, I'm sure I'll have some input, but uh, we've got some guys on, on the team that um, – Chris Alvarez being one, he went out um, out west and was shooting LPVOs out to, I think, eight 900 yards. Got another guy, Max Delo, who is um, a former sniper. Um, I mean, just really has – we've got a lot of expertise on in this field. The, the course that we want to put on basically is going to be five yards to about 600. And – we're running into logistics issues with finding a range where we literally could engage a five yard target and then engage a, you know, 550 yard target back to back. So um, mm. right now we've got a couple places in mind. We're trying to scout them to verify that it will work for our 
um, our needs. Uh, we've got you know a couple spots out in West Virginia. Uh, there is one down in Culpeper we may be interested in, but uh, that's not. Uh, Chris is gonna. Chris Alvarez is supposed to be looking into that to see if we can find a location where we can perform the uh, the drills and the tasks that we we want to put on. If if we can't find that location, I don't think we're going to sacrifice what we feel the LPVO class should be. So. Um, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say, I'm not. We're not going to teach a class in a range that has a 50-yard range and say it's an LPVO style class because that's not what our intent is. So we need to have the perfect location in order for us to uh, put on the class that we want to put on. That seems to be a, a problem here in Virginia is finding ranges beyond 300 yards. Yeah, Shadowhawk I think would be an I Shadowhawk would be sufficient for this class, um, and I would love to teach it there. The issue that the concern is that it's far enough out for a class that it's hard to get people to sign up. Um, I'm going to encourage Chris to make it at Shadowhawk, though, but we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good choice. Not no personal vested interest by any means, but good choice. I love that play. <laughs> yes. Tom, there's a nice pizza joint on the road. Yeah. There's a very good pizza place down the road. There's also a nice dance hall where ladies put on a show. Jason <laughs> <laughs> was curious. They're, they're super respectful. Um, very sweet ladies. Neither of which are sponsors. Neither the Better pizza place night. nor the, the dance hall. Yeah, definitely not sponsors. They've all, they've all got a few mouths to feed, so it's nice to support them. Listen, if you want to sleep, yeah, slap that on the back of my jersey, and I'll be happy to yeah, yeah, support. Yeah, you got to support local single moms. Yeah. Pizza, <laughs> yes, those are things that we should add to the to the registration page so people know what they're getting, really. It's a value-added, value-added. Yeah, exactly. It's a package. It, it's it's like sandals. It's all-inclusive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Josh, how long have you been a GM? Uh, I just made Grandmaster in 2020. Um, yeah, 2020, uh, mid uh, summertime, <clears throat> I started shooting. So, it's funny, I'll tell you what, in 2017, I started taking USPSA seriously. Um, I started, I started shooting carry optics and I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to take this sport seriously. And that's kind of when it happened. And then 2018 summertime, I started shooting master level classifiers, right. started to click. And then <clears throat> late 2018 is when, uh, I hooked up with Mike and we went to the range together and I didn't realize he was scouting me at the time. You know, I didn't realize it, but we went to the range and he's like, dude, got to do like start dry firing he just gave me he just gave me a couple pointers <clears throat> and he's like you're gonna make master class in no time watch this and he was absolutely he was 100 percent right i just did exactly what he told me <laughs> mike is the man i just did exactly what he told me as far as dry fire programs and everything <clears throat> and how to practice you know what drills i should be practicing uh and i made master within like a month or two of that wow and then, um, and then after I made master early 2019, 
or yeah, in, in 2019, I started shooting GM level classifiers, right? I started, it started really clicking and I was like, oh shit. All right. I get it. And I started shooting, like I shot a couple hundred percent classifiers. Right. And when I first started competitive shooting, I never in my, I never thought I would make GM. I never thought I would make master. It wasn't even like a goal. I was like, that's an impossible level of skill. I'm never going to get there. Um, but then once I started shooting hundreds and started getting you know, high nineties and everything, I was like, Oh, okay. You know, light bulb moment. You start figuring it out. And then, uh, and then 2020 came along. Let's see, I was deployed in 2019. And so I had a big gap in my competition shooting and I came back and all I did was dry fire when I was deployed. I only went to the range once, but just dry firing for months, pretty much daily with a SIG 229 with a random gun and crappy gear, just dry firing. I was literally better when I was done dry, when I was done with that deployment than before I left just from dry. Firing. Um, I went out and shot a match when I got back and I was like, all right works and then 20 so this was late 2019 and mike green was like you got to make gm and i was like ah dude it's hard you know and he's like you gotta do it you're gonna do it um and he really pushed me he really did um and i appreciate that because i don't know if i would have done it if he hadn't pushed me so going into 2020 i was like make gm this year this is my goal and then COVID hit and I didn't shoot a match for months. Mm. And I, going into COVID, my carry optics percentage was 94.9912%. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I was less than a hundredth of a percent away from 95 from making GM. And I was like, you know, it was like a major facepalm thing. Like, Jesus Christ, <clears throat> how could you get that close? Um, and then I had a huge gap in my matches. I didn't shoot a match at all. And like an idiot, I decided to make my first match in like June, 2020, after not shooting a match for months, a classifier match. And it sucked. I didn't shoot terribly, but I didn't shoot great. And the way the classification works is if you shoot a classifier that's within 5% below of your current class, it counts. Right. And so I was master class with a 94% average anything between 80 and 85% counted. And I shot three classifiers at that match that were like 80, 81, 83%. Mm. And it dropped my 94% down to like an 88 or an 89. And I was devastated. And I was like, not forget this. I'm not making GM. You know what I mean? Um, and that was like a serious setback for me. And I don't know. I just kind of worked through it and I got back to work and I went out, you know, and I started competing again. And within a couple months of that, of just shooting regularly and dry firing, um, I was shooting hundred percent classifiers. I shot, I shot like three or four hundred percent classifiers in a row at matches. Um, and it made GM, but I was like, all right, you know, goal achieved good, you know, got that out of the way. And then my first match after GM, GM making GM was probably the hardest match I ever shot because it was, a uh, it was a match at Thermont and everybody I knew was there. 
and all the shit talkers were there and all the people we shoot with talk massive amounts of shit. Right. So I was sitting there trying to <laughs> visualize um, on my process, you know, because you, I just made GM. So I, you know, it's like walking up and everyone's like, Oh, GM Josh. Got <laughs> Go fast. Don't suck. Literally. I had, I had like people that are like friends of mine be like, suck, you suck, suck, you suck. Like, you're gonna <laughs> up, Josh, you know? And, uh, and so that was really hard match because I had to like completely zen out and like focus really hard and I shot pretty good. So uh, that's my making GM story in a nutshell. That, that's where you need like triple hearing protection. Yeah. <laughs> Block uh, everybody out. So after quarantine too, it was, it was, <laughs> they were ruthless. <laughs> that's how Luke acts every match. <laughs> i mean if they're not doing that they probably don't actually like you right oh that's yeah. how they are yeah that's how they are for sure yeah. but it was extra because i just made gm but it, you know it, it mattered because i didn't want to be a paper gm right so i had to sit there and put up and sh or shut up right i didn't want to i didn't want to prove them right you know what i mean so that's the upside to being unclassified is there is zero pressure yeah, it's the best. And I'm never worried about how I'm, I'm like, well, I, I'm going to do good or I'm not. Right. Yeah. The, the, it's very freeing. Yes. Making GM like it was it was like uh, snoo snoo and Futurama. Like I was like, yeah, I made GM. Oh, no. But GM. Like, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> More pressure. Double edged sort of being good at something. Yeah. Uh, yeah you, I don't know anything about that. So. Have you been to have you shot nationals before? No, and my friends are like, dude, you got to go shoot nationals. Um, and I would like to. I really would. Uh, I just haven't yet. Uh, and my work schedule sucks, so I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do it this year. I was going to go in 2019, and I deployed, and I couldn't. So we'll see. It's definitely an experience. It was a, it was a good time. I paid for a lot of meals that, that trip. Well, a lot of appetizers. Yeah. So... What what they keep yes. what they keep referencing is, um, Chris and Leo had a bet every day, who so for the three days whoever <laughs> shot worst had to buy the appetizers. So they had a little little incentive to shoot well every day. But every day there was steel, so every day Leo bought appetizers. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Leo, that means you. I love steel. Yeah, fine. <laughs> That means you're a terrible gambler. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. I mean, yeah. at, at a certain point, you got to figure it out and just well, win. You got to know when to hold already, them and know when to fold them. I couldn't unmake the bet. It was only one bet. It just ran over three days. <laughs> <laughs> terrible idea. It was like Groundhog Day for three days in a row. Yeah. We're going for lobster and steak tonight. Yeah, I paid for a lot of alligator bites. <laughs> he did, and those were not cheap, but they were yes. very good. They were delicious. Well, I don't know. I didn't eat them. Oh, my God. Food. It was amazing. Oh, it's it just my hilarious. dignity. No big deal. So I, I see you guys <laughs> have a Green Knight rifle and pistol patch. What What is the percentage of students who are able to attain that? Easy answer. Zero. Okay. So um so let me let me explain these a little bit. Uh so 
Um, they're on the uh, they're on our website, the Knight Standards Pistol and Rifle. Um, when we came up with these numbers, basically the whole crew were shooting these um, drills. We were we were charting some of our times, our hits, and everything, and so kind of got a baseline average and came up with these numbers. Um, when discussing it with Mike, uh, so those numbers are 100% doable. Josh has done them. I have done them. Um, everybody on the team has actually com completed or met those standards. Now, we do not have a patch because we didn't think it was right for us to just give ourselves a patch just because we hit it when we were out with the boys um, hanging out. So we have the same standard as the students. We shoot them alongside the students when they shoot them. When we hit the standards, um, we will earn our patch. When the students hit the standards, they will earn their patch. Mike Green said he took a class with, I believe, Aaron Cowan, and he has, I'm, I'm not sure what the standard is, but um, it, it's a pistol standard that is uh, tough enough that not only do you have to have very good skill in the discipline, whether it's pistol or rifle, but you almost got to have everything click. Not saying lucky, but you just got to have that day. And um, so Mike uh, was saying he kind of liked that idea. Um, and so our standards are along the same same lines, right? You, I, I don't. You can't get lucky, right? There's some of those we're shooting out at 25 yards, and you, you just can't get lucky with the speed and the hits. But you do have to have a day. You know, you got to have things come together. Um, standards on both rifle and pistol. There is a reload in there, and you fumble the magazine at all. And you're probably not going to meet the standard. Um, so it is a tough standard, um, extremely tough, but uh, it is doable. We shot rifles yesterday, rifle one class. Um, and we had a couple students that were really, really close. Um, uh, actually, I thought uh, two of the students, um, they had a really legit chance of, of making them. They get done with the class and say, yeah, you know, I, we tell them they, they know the standards going into it. Right. You can go on our website and see them. Right. And they say at the like before, oh, these are impossible. These these are there's no chance no one can ever make these. And then they miss it by one shot or two shots yesterday. And at the end of it, it's like, yeah, that's possible. And so one, you've got to have a good you've got to have a good day. You've got to really know know your gear and your gun. Also, it gives you something to strive for. We've all hit them before. So if I dry fire enough, I know I can hit them next time, you know, and it's same with the students. Um, you know, you have a measurable thing. They, you know, missed the second drill by throwing a shot out or over time. Now you have a measurable, you know, now go dry fire that come back. You guarantee you can make it. So um, it does kind of light the fire to the students. It's definitely lit the fire to some of us, um, the instructors as well, to get out there, do some training um, to earn our patch. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough road to hoe there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, definitely doable um, for any of the students and any of uh, the cadre that come out and actually shoot those standards. Okay. All right. Right, I mean, here's the, there's some spicy times on there. There are some really spicy times. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it does, they do, everything looks doable. But again, yeah, I mean, you know, 
looking at them also on a piece of paper or, on, or in this case on a computer screen is different than actually getting out there and doing it. You know, mm -hmm. even if you practice it, it doesn't mean when you go to it and you, you're like, yeah, I can do all that. Doesn't mean you're going to do it all that day. So sure. That's good. That's, I mean, I think it's always good to have a very high bar. I mean, if you're going to have to obtain something, you might as well work to get it. Mm -hmm. Now I do have, now I, I do follow you guys on Instagram and there's one question I have that I think you guys are really mean with. And you keep your fire pit like a hundred yards away from the shooters. I really think that's cruel and inhumane. So it's unconstitutional technically. Yeah, it really is. Cruel and unusual punishment. Because I always see it the might. picture. The fire pit's right below them, and way in the distance, if you expand it, you know, let me get, there we go. Oh, there's the people shooting. <laughs> well, the first fire we had, I think it was melting people's shoes. So it's probably best <laughs> to keep it away from everybody. Goodness <laughs> gracious. The, we had one, I don't know, a couple weeks back, and it. I felt like, Chris couldn't keep his hands off of it. So we would get the flame going and he felt like he needed to touch it all the time to make the flame go out. And so it's probably best just to keep it away from everybody. Huggy's the same way. He can't keep his hands off of stuff. It's weird. <laughs> I was talking to one of the other instructors at the time and you could just watch Chris like inching closer and closer. I said, watch this. He's going to, he's going to move a log. He's got to, it's like, you know, he can't not do it. And naturally he goes <laughs> over there, moves it six inches, and all of a sudden the flame goes out. <laughs> That's hilarious. It happens. I do like that you guys have, there's a ton of videos on that website. So there's a lot of information just people can go to the website and look at and, and see what you guys are doing. I like that a lot. That was, that was pretty good. Yeah, so We've got that. We've got like our YouTube channels um, mm -hmm. or channel. Um, you know, it we're especially like I can speak for myself, but I would also say across Green Ops in general, our main goal is to make better shooters, right? It's not to. I, I didn't. I didn't start teaching with Green Ops to make any money or anything, right? I just wanted to one. Officially, I wanted to be around awesome shooters, so. Um, Green Ops, we've got some great guys. So I just wanted to hang out with those those people. But, you know, at the end of the day, our main goal is to make better shooters. And if that means we give away content on YouTube or you come to me on Instagram and ask my opinion or questions about stuff, we answer, right? I, I just want to make everybody better. I and, and, that's, and that's kind of the, like, everybody in Green Ops is that way. Everybody is extremely approachable. Um, I mean, we're just just got a great crew, and like I said, on the on our website, we've got videos, um, we've got a YouTube, we've got um, you know Instagram stuff like that. Uh, you can reach out to us and have questions, and, and we're very approachable. So, like I said, end of the day, we just want to make everybody that wants to get better, we want them to get better. Okay. On that note, does having a beard make you a better shooter? Because we see a trend here. No. Is it part of the uniform? It's it's cold. <laughs> That's why I'm fat because I'm never cold. 
We're not hearing you, Josh. Oh. Oh, I heard you that time. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yes. Oh. Um, I said our best shooters all have beards. It's true. Okay. There we go. All right. So it is. Well, a I gotta quit my job and grow a beard. <laughs> okay. Done. She's gonna go to the costume store and buy one. Well, it's a problem because I'm Hispanic, so my beard is horrible. It's just <laughs> patchy and just unattractive. <laughs> but if it's gonna make me a better shooter, I'll do it. It's fine. It's not horrible. It's next level. Oh, <laughs> it's trendsetter. Level. Go ahead and grow one out. Yeah, it's like a pug. It's so ugly. It's cute. <laughs> Got it. I'll let my wife know that. Huggy, you got anything? You're pretty quiet up there. Just looking menacing. Oh, um, <laughs> I see. Like they said before, uh, it's great having a good crew to work with, and that's why I love being with you two because I usually say something that I stumble upon, and you two just take it and run with it, and then we start laughing at each other because practice score, you know. <laughs> so, um, but it's great. Yeah, but it's great, like you said, having a crew to work with and having each, pushing each other and and making each other better. Um, here's a question uh, I did have, but I don't know if it's uh, something that you guys would do or if Green Ops would ever even look at. But I was just it's been asked to me before about like uh, having training husband and wife teams, you know, so that you know the both of them would be able to work together if there was a home invasion or if they were coming in, in together without fighting, both would be able to. Yeah. Without <laughs> fighting, but being able to, you know, go through a house and, you know, making sure that they're clearing the rooms properly knowing that the, the, uh, the significant other would be able to understand, like, I want you to go this way. I'm going this way you know, and doing stuff like that. Has Green Ops ever thought about putting a class on like that or working with husband and wife teams and stuff of that nature? Or husband and husband or wife and wife. Very right. inclusive. We're non-judgy. I, yeah. <laughs> so there was talk about doing um, classes like that uh, by um, some of the other cadre, Brian Christian, Christian Al or, um, Chris Alvarez, um, Max, Jose Gordon, things like that. Uh, I, that's definitely not my wheelhouse. Um, right. uh, so that wouldn't, that might be something I would be taking and not teaching, but, uh, there was talk about it. I know that there's, there was possibility of a shoot house somewhere up North. Um, maybe elite or something like that has something, but, um, private lessons, we, we do, uh, private lessons at green Ops, So that could be something if, you know, a couple, wanted to reach out to us and, you know, maybe get some private instruction from one of the instructors that actually knows how to clear a building. Um, like I said, that's not my wheelhouse. I'm going to, if somebody's in my house, everybody's boarding up in my bedroom and we're calling the police and let those people do what they do best. Um, so, but that is something that had been discussed, but uh, it was by some people that have much more experience than I. <laughs> I would, yeah, I would say gotcha. putting on a class, we have, I don't think we've talked about running a specific like home or house clearing in teams or solo class necessarily. 
Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, I would say that Chris uh, has taught private lessons where he teaches, you know, shoot, move, and communicate. He teaches teamwork. He teaches, you know, small team tactics, like one or two people type of stuff. Um, he loves that stuff. Uh, and he does that in private lessons upon request. And, you know, guys like Chris, some of the other guys on the team who have, you know, CQB experience and and that's that's squarely in their wheelhouse. Uh, you could you could always request private training from any of them. One thing that I think is interesting about that question is the possibility of having an instructor come to where you live and potentially looking at your home and talking about you know home defense plan and maybe working with people in their home in that way. Um, I'm not sure if anyone does that. I imagine there must be people out there that do that. It seems like uh, potentially a very appealing option. Um, and there's nothing stopping you from emailing Green Ops and requesting anything like that. Uh, because Mike and Pascal will probably look at it and then ask one of the instructors, would you guys be willing to do this? You know, it's something we could talk about. Um, like Luke said, I would be, I would be taking that class, not teaching it. But hopefully, hopefully my mic wasn't muted that whole time. What? Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was good. It was a good answer. And I was going to say too, I mean, that was the other thing that I liked about the website was, I mean, it said right on there, you know, private training. And, and if you, there's something you want, contact us, send us what you're looking for. Um, which is nice. That means you guys have the flexibility to sit down and maybe create something. And and who knows? I mean, maybe that creates another little niche in the marketplace because when Huggy asked that, there was actually um, a buddy of mine. I uh, had three sons, and you know they were trying to figure out how they would manage a situation if they had a home invasion. You know, so I don't think it's a unique question. Um, I, I think there's probably a market out there, how you would get it out to everybody and market. It would be another, that's not in my wheelhouse, but I, I definitely think there is a market for it. That's for sure. Yeah. Right. And we've, we've got, you know, combat veterans, CQB subject matter experts on our team. And if, if, if that's something you're really interested in Huggy or anybody on the, on the panel, actually go ahead and email info at greentechops.com and Pascal get the email and just just say hey you know we're interested in this is this something you guys offer um and that'll get the ball rolling and at least start the discussion on green ops end um definitely email and ask for sure i think it's worthwhile okay. i'll probably mention it to mike and pascal and the other guys just anyways now because that's a good idea good job huggy well, thank yeah. you yeah good question <laughs> so I, I have all the best for last there's a finder's fee there somewhere <laughs> i do have one last question it's a uspsa question for the two of you um i was speaking i interviewed nils uh jonason it hasn't it hasn't published yet but it's coming it'll be not uh tomorrow but it'll be next monday next month yeah yeah and he and i were talking about the two gun championship in june 
And I told him I felt that that had a very high chance of being very popular. Because you have a PCC and you have a pistol and you're either open or you're limited. Uh, I liked how they've simplified the two different divisions. And I can see a lot of people, I mean, even looking at your classes, your pistol and your carbine. I mean, now, again, now you're going to attract a whole other audience. But I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how popular that match will be in June. The only match it is going to be in, it'll be a, a national championship match. But I, what what are your thoughts on that, the two of you? It was, it was only, it was PCC. It wasn't like a full rifle caliber. No nope, PCC. Um, so did they know there's an ammo crisis going on? No, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's been in the news lately. The memo didn't make it up the chain. <laughs> so I think the, I'll, I'll make a short answer. I think any type of innovation and change and, evolution and growth is good for the sport um you know i wouldn't necessarily be a fan of all the rule changes that they have talked about um the new right. ones i'm fine with i think that's great i think the sport needs to continue to change and evolve you know people are going to get mad about it but it always has and it, it always has to and i'm relatively new to it but i think it's important that things don't just stay stagnant um to stay relevant so New stuff, cool. That's good. You know, why not? Good stuff. Attract more people to the sport. Keep it popular. Yeah, sounds fun as hell. Loop. Yeah, it sounds like a great deal, but like a lot of fun. But like Josh said, who's got the ammo to shoot that much? Um, it, 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 yeah, I mean, maybe I can get a sponsorship out of this. Just some ammo or primers. I'll just take primers. Are good. Um, <laughs> Your voice yeah, is too does. deep. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Um, it, it looks fun. Like Josh said, I've not been shooting USPSA that long, um, but making sure that we're being like, they're moving the sport along to get new shooters. That's what keeps the sport going. Um, these new changes that they've just uh, launched, I guess two or three days ago. Uh, I actually like, I think that's a good move. Um, you're seeing all the memes come out that IDPA is pretty much done. IDPA had a had a chance to start doing um, appendix carry, and they might have become a little bit more relevant. But I think now with this, it's uh, it's really gone. USPSA, you're going to get a lot of the defensive shooters now, maybe migrating over to USPSA, and also you know. I came into USPSA because I wanted to conceal carry or get better at conceal carry. Now, you know, I, I could have just hopped into a division where I could run exactly what I wore every day, you know, a Glock 19 appendix carry with a spare mag and let's go shoot some matches. And um, so it opens up that, that door to new shooters. I think that's a good thing. Um, and yeah, sure. Shooting rifles is a lot of fun. So why not? be able to shoot rifles and pistols at the same time. That's, that's a lot of fun. If you can, if your ammo can hold out. Yeah. And you know, one of the things I was looking at, looking at from a tactical standpoint too, uh, or defensive standpoint, I mean, you're going to have a competition here where both weapons can utilize the same ammunition. So you're not having to bring a whole bunch of this and that you don't have to bring five, five, six and nine millimeter and this and that, 
and all this combination. It's just one type of ammo. And in some cases, if you're running a Keltec and a Glock, well, guess what? Now you have interchangeable magazines as well. So it's just, mm -hmm. I'm not saying anybody's going to use a Keltec. My point is just that it, it adds a lot and there's a lot of different ways it can go. And like, like you were saying, it, it can attract a whole other group of people. So, mm -hmm. well, I mean, that's the upside to running a Glock with any of that. Cause it's, you can run a Keltec, you can run a, a, a Ruger, you could run a, vector you could run a bunch of different platforms with that one magazine mm -hmm. or i mean multiple magazines obviously and i'm not a glock guy. i don't own a single glock so yeah. but i get it so you guys are both on board with the latest uspsa changes with the uh weapon mounted lights and and magazines and holsters and all that uh, I, I don't see it making a difference for the actual competition portion. I don't think I'm going to add a light to my gun and become a grandmaster. So um, I think it does open the door for newer. Well, my plan. Got to return my light. Yeah, <laughs> I'm out. So, but I think it opens the door for newer shooters or people that didn't want to get into competition because they really just conceal carry or use a gun for defensive purposes it opens that up so it brings more people into sport so I, yeah i think it's a definitely a good thing yeah i've seen people complain that they couldn't run their carry stuff um and they have mm -hmm. they don't have that as an excuse anymore right so right come out and, and put your money where your mouth is but i um you know i i i'm not going to put a light on my carry optics gun um i don't see that as benefiting me or probably most people really, um, you know, sure. Add a little weight on the front. Maybe it'll improve your splits a insignificant amount, but it's probably just going to change the balance and not really do you much good. And now you've got bulk on, and new holster. No. Um, I do think it allows people to run their carry guns the way that they carry them. And that's excellent. Um, yeah. Why not? I will probably do that at some point. It sounds like a great idea. But the mag pouch position changes I like. I will definitely be experimenting with moving my uh, behind-the-hip reloads to closer to center and maybe cranking the angle because I can see how, you know, going from here to just straight down could be a, a faster reload. So yes, I'm going to be experimenting with that in a timer for sure. Uh, my buddy Matt Hempel immediately put a magnet on his belt. Uh, and at first I was like, the hell do you need a magnet for? Um, and somebody said, unloaded table starts, mags on table, right? When you need to pick up mags. Slap them right on there, yep. You don't got to fuck around trying to get it in a pouch. So um, I might get a, <laughs> a magnet. Been there. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's cool. I dig it. Like I said, changes, people just want to complain about shit, but I, I think they're good changes. You know, talking about like open minor and people adding and adding single action only 2011s into carry optics. I was not a fan of that idea. You know, I wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have like, I, I wouldn't have like gotten my pitchfork out or anything and torches, but I was not a fan of that idea. And I hope that doesn't happen because I think it would ruin carry optics division personally, not ruin it, but it would change it into a completely different kind of race, uh, equipment race. Um, so I'm glad they didn't do that. 
it may happen eventually. I don't know, but I felt like that was one company in particular, and maybe a few custom manufacturers really pushing for that change, which I don't want to see the sport do that. So, but what are you, what are you shooting, Josh? Is it a CZ? Uh, so, uh, I was shooting the CZ P10 F, um, for the last year or two. That's what I made GM with. Um, and I just got a shadow Two optics ready from CZ. Uh, and I plan on using that for carry optics if I ever get to shoot a match again. Uh, but I, the, the CZ P 10 F was my primary gun. What about you, Luke? I'm still shooting Glock 34. So production, Glock 34 and then carry optics just put a a dot on a different 34. Okay. All right. So would would you be adding cuz if I Josh your gun is a steel frame gun, correct? The Shadow 2 is, yeah. But now Luke yours is a poly. So would you be looking would you be looking to add a light on the front of yours just for weight? I don't, I don't think it's going to matter to okay. be honest. I, I think that the bulk, um, I think it might counter like the weight off the front end is great, but then the bulk with the gun is a negative, And I think they kind of wash each other out personally. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of cheap too. I've got my gear set up. Um, exact. I've got a holster. I've got all my gear. Then I would have to find a new holster and all that. I, I am going to experiment with mag positioning and things like that, putting stuff in front of the hip. I think that is going to be a faster reload. Um, but I don't think I'm going to put a light off the, uh, off the end of my gun. I, I will say though, I like Josh, I plan on one day competing from like a concealed carry rig appendix um concealed carry just to see what i can do because that seems like a lot of fun um but i don't think i'll be using a light but for like if i'm concealed carrying or something and trying to run that rig okay have you guys heard of the shoot fast podcast yes okay that's with cody Axon. I think he was top 10 in nationals. I'm not sure. I could be wrong there. Don't don't hold me to it. But one of my buddies listens to that, I'm pretty sure. Okay. It's usually pretty good. He hasn't put one out in a couple of months, but um, his wife was due for a child, I think, so in that time frame. So they made a baby. Yeah, you yeah. know. Slight change in life plans. Uh but he he still posts stuff. He just started back to practicing. And he just posted a video, which I thought was pretty interesting on Instagram, showing he was in his basement showing the um, his uh, dry fire setup. And he pulled out his, he's a law enforcement officer, and he has a, wep, he has a light under his um, carry gun for work. And he was showing the difference where you could within certain distances actually engage a target without having to use the sights with the weapon mounted light. He was even looking at the camera this way 
and pointing the gun and his targets were back behind him and just using the viewfinder and the flashlight and hitting the flashlight in the center of the target showing how he could actually engage the targets without even looking at them. He specifically said his light was a 300 lumen light. He's going to try to find another light that's brighter with a focused beam where he can just be able to engage targets without even needing to use his his sights. I thought that was pretty interesting. I don't know that that's still going to make a difference really in the overall standings in a match because when you're at that level anyway, those guys, you know, the Max Michels, the uh, all of those guys at that level, they're acquiring their sights so freaking fast anyway and engaging targets. I don't know. A flashlight for me with a beam and just using that, they're still going to smoke me. But I thought it was very interesting what he posted. I've, I've got three things okay. to say in particular. Uh, the first one is I, I've i shot a lot of guns with X300s or TRL1s hanging off of them. Um, my carry guns I often carry with weapon lights. Uh, and shooting with the weapon light, I, I don't ever notice that the recoil is less. In fact, sometimes with the U-boats off the front, it almost feels like it changes the recoil impulse um, in a way that I'm less familiar with. And it's not as predictable for me because it's not just a straight up improvement because there's weight on the end is what I'm saying. Um, two guys like that are already probably shooting close targets with a gross sight picture anyways you know um yes like flash sight picture right or if it's close enough body of the gun over a zone you know what i mean so mm -hmm. i don't think it'll matter three you've now got to factor in activating the light so if you're shooting at a high enough level to take top 10 at, at a nationals changing something so that your finger hits the light activation in the middle of your draw or while you're transitioning targets. That's something you're going to work into your stage plan, right? It's going to be part of your visualization, you know, engage, engage, transition, activate light. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So it doesn't make sense to me. Well, and, um, and, and he did I, say that, you know, there's a hot spot of a light, like that's where the gun's pointing. And that is cool. And I can see that being relevant for, you know, law enforcement, defensive stuff for sure. For USPSA, it seems silly to me, honestly. But well, and, and he did say there would be a limited application, but he could see there is um, <laughs> stage one at Frostproof is always an, a building. So there's targets inside the building. And oh, that's cool. where, you know, he was saying that would be where having that flashlight would then be an advantage um, especially if you're shooting an open-sided gun versus an optic gun. Versus a red dot. So yeah, I, I'm going to defer to the guy who took top 10 at nationals and has done it. <laughs> <laughs> a low light stage at Frostproof. Absolutely. That sounds like yeah. it might be worth it. Yeah, That's exactly. And so that was interesting. So it is, it's interesting with the rule changes, all the different stuff that's coming out and what people are talking about. So Makes you think. I think it's cool. Side note, that was my best stage at Nationals. Nice. I didn't have a light. And you didn't run into a wall. 
I did not run into a wall really hard. Yeah, we saw that one. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he died. <laughs> he did. He, he did run I was like, smack he, into dead. that wall. Yeah. Oh, Lord. But yeah, proudly, that was my best stage. Yeah, I think the new rule changes are good because I think they're exciting. It's kind of a drastic update, and it and it's a relevant update, and I think that it's exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of weird shit comes of it, to be honest, because you know people are going to do weird shit. So um, they'll push it, and and stuff we haven't even thought of, probably right. Like holy crap, I never even thought of that. So um, I'll, I'll be looking for that genius who does something weird that we weren't expecting, and and it's like a game changer. There's your Albert Einstein. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it's a cool idea. I'm a little worried about the whole appendix draws. I'm waiting to see some negligent discharges there. That is what I'm concerned about. Other than that, I think it's going to be pretty cool. If yeah, yeah, if you are as someone who does appendix carry, if you shoot your own bollocks off, that's on you. Like that. I mean, your equipment should keep you relatively safe and the rules of, you know, unload, show clear. Like, if you're pointing down before you show clear and hammer down, your RO was was sleeping. Yeah, I, I don't expect anyone to have accidents because of it. I don't, uh, I don't know why having a gun in that position would change anything for safety. If people yeah. aren't themselves already i don't know why they would start just because of that holster position um i'm, I'm not saying the experienced people i know experienced people will be but i'm just saying like non-experienced you know people at home trying to practice or you know why are you practicing at home with I'm live rounds that, that much. <laughs> hey people do it i'm There's telling you right now people do it my head okay? the other day what people do. Okay. That was a seal. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, don't. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this, don't practice at home with live rounds pointed at your hang down. Or if you're a lady, you're non hang down. Well, please. Say PSA for the day. Safety first. Third, just don't point that there in practice. Think of the children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's for the children. The children are your future. <laughs> well played. <laughs> what, do you, what do you guys think? What do you guys think if we put a flashlight on top of the gun instead of sights? But mount a flashlight up here. Albert Einstein. Just use the flashlight. Get like a really bright flashlight and just use that. Can we run lasers now? Are lasers legal? Hold on a sec. Are, are lasers game changer? I know the answer to this, huh? It's a game changer. I don't I don't know. Um, but we can make it happen. This is a very influential podcast, in case you were curious. Like we we can make this happen. I trendsetters. I actually think having uh like a a laser may I could actually see that being something that I would find really useful. Is just playing around with like a green laser. Um, it's almost like a red dot. You don't need to worry about your sights. You can literally just target focus, laser shot, laser shot. You know what I mean? Laser, laser, laser. Um, I could see that being 
pretty money for a few different circumstances. He um, could hit steel with a laser. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hurtful. <laughs> I probably could, though. I'm gonna Maybe. Have, I'm going to need that question answered ASAP somehow. Yeah. Uh, Huggy, go ahead and look into that for us, please. Sure will. Got I'll it. have that uh, purchase in here by next week. Yep. Make it happen. You see, I'm always the guy that always tries the new things, just like the whole new dry fire, you know, situ situation scene that we're in now with the ammo shortage. Uh, I uh, purchased the cool, cool fire laser system so that I can actually get the recoil feeling um, with my gun. And I, I like it. It, it just makes my dry firing. I feel better. Personally, yeah, it's also points at his best friend on camera and then pulls the trigger. If you ever saw that episode, yeah, uh, no, That's that was that go was ahead, Josh. I, I, I guys... mean, what Josh say, yeah, yeah, go ahead, Josh. What were you going to say about uh using your cool fire trainer on your friend's head? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was in the position he that is. he is in now on the screen uh, and i was showing yeah not, in real, like, not really right. not in real life this yeah. this virtual he's like right oh. there in the screen and i went like this and i showed the recoil and he was like dude you just shot me uh, so like a bunch yes, yeah i like it yes <laughs> i've been overruled all right well, except it was See? a surprise shot. It wasn't yeah. intentional. <laughs> so it was with David Wampler during our interview with him. It's okay. You're always supposed to be surprised when you squeeze the trigger. Like, Man. oh. And he's like, yeah, it's Thank great. You. you know, you can feel yeah. the trigger at the wall, and then all of a sudden it just goes off. And oh. even Huggy jumped a little bit. At my face. <laughs> so it was I was, was kind of like shocked because I was like, yeah, yeah. Anyway. He found the wall, and then he avoided. You know, it's fine. It's fine. It's all fine. <laughs> but yeah, I saw Wampler almost get his foot shot anyway. off at a class. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably not going to tell that story at this time, but I'll tell you in private. It was, <laughs> it was someone else's fault, but Dave Wampler was almost less of a man. <laughs> Thank God it didn't happen. Yeah, well, I wish I didn't know. I would have asked it's him a, about that. Yeah. Love to see him try and stumble around that story on a podcast. <laughs> Listen, we're, we're probably going to have him back on at some point. Oh. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> Getting foot almost shot off. Yes. Oh, that's hysterical. Wampler, missing toe. Be like Harlem Knights. Mm -hmm. Harlem Knights, when you say, oh, he shot me in the pinky toe. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's all I've got. Leo, Huggy, you guys have anything? Um, I cannot think of anything uh, that was not addressed already. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you uh, asked all pretty much all the pertinent questions, and I think it was great. I think it was great talking to you guys, and maybe coming up with my innovative question that uh, Josh, you can ask, and happens, and. 
you know, I'll take maybe 2%. Yeah, we'll do every private lesson. <laughs> it's always, it always starts generally with uh, somebody reaching out. And then if I'm the instructor, I'll call them and say, Hey, let's, you know, let's talk about what you're looking for and come up with a customized plan for that person's needs based on their previous experience and you know what they're trying to do and what their goals are so that's that's how our private lessons work it's it's always customized towards the the client whoever is is cool question the training so well i mean i guess all that's really left is uh where can we where can listeners reach out to you know, get in touch with you guys specifically uh you guys at green ops and uh anything else you guys just kind of want to pitch endorse throw out there you know, now is your time. Go ahead, Luke. All right. Um, so Green Dops, www.green-ops.com. Um, that's our website. Uh, email for that. Um, if you wanted to reach out to do a private lesson or just had questions, it's info at green-ops.com. Um, me personally on Instagram, I'm wreck Luke. And on Facebook, Luke Brooks. So... Yeah, reach out. We're, we're, we're very approachable. Um, if you have questions about classes or uh, pretty much anything, um, like I said, very approachable. So uh, feel free to reach out to us. And uh, yeah, you can request any training by emailing Green Ops. Um, myself on social media, um, I get a, I filled a lot of questions from students and random people about training and, and shooting and competition and gun stuff. Um, and I enjoy that. So on Instagram, I am underscore Yoshimoto underscore, I believe. And social media, I'm just Joshua Shaw. Um, you should be able to find me through the Green Ops Facebook page or just the Facebook search. Um, but I communicate with students and and you know, clients and friends that way, uh, pretty regularly. I also have a YouTube channel that I post on semi-regularly, uh, training stuff, competition stuff, uh, gear, gun reviews. Uh, I do that through a website called Spotter Up, published on Spotter Up. But my YouTube channel is Yoshimoto Spotter Up, or Spotter Up Yoshimoto with an underscore in there. I should probably know exactly what it is, but you can find it. But someone will figure it out. Well, there's only so many iterations of that you can do. Right? And we do we do post on our <laughs> website. We'll post all the links to you guys, so oh. we'll make sure it's there. Yeah, it was it was really great meeting you guys, and this was a fun chat. I really appreciate you having us on, and uh, thanks for uh, thanks for having. Me. Cool. Thank you for coming. It was fantastic. Yeah, thanks for being time. on, you guys. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again. Yeah. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah.